And it's St. Patrick's breastplate. Thank you, Matthew. If you ever want to be reminded of what we're called to do, have a look at St. Matthew's, St. Patrick's breastplate in your, in your hymnal. Um, Emily has not been a deacon long, two weeks, um, right? Ordained, um, sponsored from St. Mark's in the Bowery in the East Village in Manhattan, ordained at the cathedral earlier this month. This is her first time functioning as a transitional deacon here at St. Luke's, and I think with that reading, you might be done for the next six months. Yeah. St. Mark's in the Bowery is a storied place. The poet Khalil Gibran um, was on the poetry committee of St. Mark's in the Bowery when he was there, I know, which what a, what a thing to do if you find someone like Khalil Gibran in your parish, to, in your pews, to invite him to join a committee. But that's, that's what happened. Um, I believe it because there's a committee involved. That was the early 1900s, the teens. Um, much, much later, I was the rector of St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, which I think means that I get to quote him in a sermon whenever I want. Um, and so I'm going to today. On children, Khalil Gibran. A woman who held a babe against her bosom said, speak to us of children. And he said, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. Life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children are living arrows, as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Gibran was a spiritual eclectic. He was raised as a Maronite Catholic Christian in Lebanon and heavily influenced by Sufism and the spiritualities of his time, which is probably what brought him to St. Mark's. They were doing the same thing. And it's a similar moment in our world a hundred years later. And don't some of these words ring so true to our readings in the moment we live in politically? Jesse, the father of David, who will become the king, we know how this turns out, is the poor fool whom Samuel the prophet has come to see. The whole village is terrified that the prophet has come to them because prophets are terrifying. Things are not going well in the kingdom. And the prophet's sons are wastrels, if you look back a little bit, no good. And it is a frightening time to be associated with the powerful. Saul is failing and furious. Better to keep your head down and look after your own fields and flocks, Jesse must have thought. But the prophet has come to them, bringing the problems of the kingdom with him, for they are everyone's problems. But he comes with strange and frightening news. The next king will not be the son of Saul, who is their very tall, that's his descriptor, he's tall, their very tall and kingly king, 
but will come from the house of Jesse. There is no way this will go well, Jesse had to be thinking. But the prophet is here, and so Jesse brings out his sons, many of which looked kingly enough or with enough kingly potential for old Samuel, but none of them were the chosen ones. Kind of wonder if there were any sisters watching or a wife or a mother, we don't know. But eventually, they run out of sons for God to choose from, and as the old men scratch their heads, maybe Jesse very relieved that Samuel has made a mistake. Then Samuel asks the very improbable question, are these all of your sons? It could be a sitcom, right? <laughs> all of your sons? Again, you wish for some daughters or wives for this scene, right? And old Jesse remembers that there is one other one out with the sheep. It says he is young and he is pretty, probably some nice girls in his hair or something. He's a kid. And something about him doesn't seem to mean the anointing type to his father, but they send for him because God is waiting and it turns out he is the one, like Jesus. This is where we get our image of the good shepherd. It's that guy up there, like God for us now, the one who knows his sheep because he is like a laborer who lies down near the animals, maybe a forgotten younger one, to protect, to protect them from the wild ways of the vicious world, the inevitability of the violence of life, an interrupter and a protector, a forgotten one, the soon-to-be anointed one. And the gospel has a similar character, but a story told in the dust and mud of a later generation, people that would have known this story of David, a man who has only ever been blind, we read, minding his own business, happens to be in sight when the disciples and Jesus walk by. One of the disciples thoughtlessly uses him as an example, saying, who sinned, the parents or the man, if he has been blind since birth? The disciple seems to be asking, how does it work that some people are the people that we are to alienate as a people? we are brought up to alienate. What happened to him? Why does the world work this way? Why is he blind and not me? And Jesus says, helpfully, wrong question. He then makes some mud with his own spit. It says the spit of Jesus and some dirt like the creation story and smears it on the man's eyes. For a moment, just imagine you are that man. All you know is some really rude people are talking about you. You can hear them, and then something comes on your face, because he can't see, can he? It is not at all clear that the man is warned that that mud is coming at his face. And then Jesus says, go wash it off in the pool at Siloam which you could go visit today if you want. And then it says the man can see. Somehow his brain that has never processed vision, his eyes which have never worked, can see. Jesus has power over the question. Jesus annihilates the question. Jesus proclaims the innocence of the blind man. Jesus interrupts the old patterns of negotiated difference and proclaims a new way. 
changes that man from who he appeared born to be with some dirt and spit and a rinse in the pools of water that King Hezekiah generations ago had constructed to preserve living waters for the people, even if they are besieged by enemies all around their walls. You could make a sermon out of that, right? And we get even more. That man never saw Jesus until the very, very end of the story. He just knew what he had heard and did what he heard he should do, he decided. Jesus made a sort of medical intervention. Now there's been mud and healing before in the Bible, and even some mud and making at the very beginning, and like them, he was healed, healed. The logical next thing is that everyone is really happy. It is very, very good. You think his mother would be sweeping up to have a party. My son was blind and now he can see. You can imagine the hymn that you could write. But somehow, his healing made the authorities angry. It made the authorities so angry that it made his parents afraid to speak for him in joy and celebration and claim him as their beloved son. The seemingly inevitable, difficult ways of this world had turned upside down in front of them all, but instead of celebrating some really good news and maybe even seeking out this Jesus to get a little more or say thank you, everyone runs from the miracle, except the man who can suddenly see, who cannot help but testify to what has happened to him. And Jesus says to all of them, except the man, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say, we see, and you could say, blame me for healing on the wrong day, your sin remains. You, the callers out of sin, you that believe you can find the sin, name the sin to keep it far from you. Jesus says, the sin is you. Who is it? that cannot see, he asks. So this week I was honored to go with Elizabeth and Horace and Nicole to our Capitol to witness a Senate, uh, excuse me, a House uh, committee hearing, not usually what we do with our Tuesday afternoons. Um, and it was the hearing that um, was a, a piece of legislation to limit medical care for trans youth, trans teens in particular. And we were prepared to speak and signed up, but we were not called up probably heard about this, 60-something people signed up to speak to this, and I think five or six were called. It's a strangely run committee hearing. As someone who loves a meeting, I was confused a little bit by it and by the confusion in the room itself. Now, I will never understand why elected officials decide that they should decide for us what is effective medical care, but here we are again. And we watched this legislation called SB 140, presented by a state senator as the natural reaction to some parents coming to his office with a concern. So informal and common sense, he said, that he couldn't be bothered with peer-reviewed articles or any of the proper research and reporting that is expected from, from the Committee on Public Health here in the fine state of Georgia and in any American state to do something so radical as make it illegal for doctors to comply with the standard of care of their professional associations. 
except as predicted last year, this week we did it again, this time for trans kids. A first year student from UGA got up and eloquently addressed the issue. It was very moving, he was powerful as did the lead of a local suicide prevention organization saying, please don't pass this, don't move it forward, as did a mother of a trans child so movingly and vulnerably, as did a transgender young adult telling the story of his own care and the new life it has brought to him. I am still here, he said, because of appropriate medical care when I was a teenager. And there were 60 others in the room and in a breakout room, overflow, prepared to speak. The sons and daughters of life calling to itself. The um, band Sweet Honey and the Rock set that poem to music, you might remember it. It's why I can remember all the words. Um, and the feel of their setting, black women singing a cappella, puts that Gibran piece in the lowlands of the American South. You can imagine life emerging from the damp of a southern swamp, reaching for the light. Like David, the forgotten shepherd boy, the musician, the pretty-eyed one, who loved King Saul's son, Jonathan, and his sister, Michael, and took Bathsheba, who was victorious in battle and lost his own beloved son, wild and of a future Jesse and Samuel could not have foreseen, like our blind, nameless friend who was minding his own business, but was made an example of by the disciples and found his healing, his healing, to be too much for the powers that be, including his own parents, afraid of the authorities. I hear so clearly in our readings today to be very careful of where we think we see sin in another person's body. I hear so clearly that God is at work among us in very unexpected places. I hear very clearly that we children of the light must testify to the light. And I hear very clearly that it will not be easy. The House passed, that committee passed that, um, that legislation, the House passed it, organized the vote in the dark of the night. And there's something that Paul has to say about that in Ephesians. And it goes to the Senate tomorrow. All over the country, this same bill is being passed. It is not innocent or local. It is a movement, and trans kids, families with trans kids are being targeted because they are a small minority, because they are vulnerable, because we're not used to talking about it, because it can feel complicated, because they are claiming their own healing, because we would have to change to be who they are calling us to be. We are being tested, friends, no doubt about that. Or is it that some are trying to make us comfortable with the abuse of our neighbors? He is of age, his parents say in fear. He will speak for himself. Those frightened parents say of their once blind son. Like an arrow shot further than we could dream for ourselves, our children shine bright, hopefully not despite us. May God bless them. And we, we must resist any power that would suppress them. And if this is about you and your family, know that we stand with you. Let us support you. We want to. And if this has nothing at all to do with you, congratulations. You are in a perfect position to be a witness and a fighter. This is all of us. 
And whatever happens on Monday, we will do all we can here to make sure every child in our communities can flourish. For God has not left us with a spirit of fear, children of light, but with a spirit of power and of love. And may we be called his disciples in our time.